Amen. Well, good morning again. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining as we as we turn together uh, to God's word. And, and of course, we pray that he will speak to us as we turn to his word. This is his word that we want to hear from. We want to hear his voice. Uh, but not only that, as we as we remember and say often, we, we want to hear his word and then go from here and live it out and practice what he speaks to us. Um, and, and for those of you who have been attending or, or listening for a while, you'll you'll know that we're nearing the end of our journey through the letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi in the first century. Uh, And we've said many times there are certain verses in this short letter. It's only four chapters. By my count, this is is session 16 uh, in this letter. So we'll finish next week um, having 17 enjoyable sessions, hopefully, um, uh, in this short letter. But within this letter, there are many uh, one-liner statements uh, that are memorable and that are easy to, and good for us to live by. Uh, and today we're going to encounter two more. But as we've said at, at different occasions when we've encountered them, these are much more than just memorable catchphrases. Uh, this is God's word to us. And, and more than that, actually, as we'll see today, th- these one-liners don't take, uh, we don't find them in isolation. They are within a context and written with, with other great truths around them and buoying them up. And so uh, hopefully we'll get to see lots of that today as we encounter them. But today we're going to see two of some of these well-known one-liners from the book of Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 12 contains a statement, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Maybe that's a, a phrase you've heard before, a, a scripture text that you've meditated on previously. Or verse 13 of chapter 4, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Uh, and so we're going to think about both of those verses and indeed a few others as we think about them. But these are great truths. And so hopefully we will celebrate these great truths and see what God has to teach us through them. Um, but, but as we do that, perhaps already these great truths have, have sparked some questions in your mind. Um, so when we learn the secret of being content, well, well, how do we learn that? That sounds like a secret I want to know. Uh, how do we learn that? And and, and can it be right that you can be content in any and every situation, in any and every, cir- we'll see later, whatever circumstances? Is that, is that possible? Is that right? And then Christ gives, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things, really? All, all things? Or just some things, even though I've said all things? What, 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 what is God saying to us through that? Does faith somehow turn us into this kind of superhero? Or, or what is being said? through this, through the text that we're going to read. And, and so I, I pray that this morning's um, journey through these verses will be of real benefit to us. And whether you would consider yourself fairly new to Christianity, just exploring Christianity, or maybe you, you would call yourself a, a seasoned veteran um, of the faith. Um, maybe you're, you're sensing God's nearness, you're, you're knowing his joy, um, or maybe you're questioning whether he still even hears your prayers or you're wondering why Bible reading is so difficult, and, and so you're struggling this morning in faith. Well, wherever you are in your walk with God today, uh, I pray that you can hear the good news that God has for each and every one of his children, and that is that we can know the joy of contentment. That's what we're going to see through Philippians four ten to 13, the joy of contentment. Let's read God's word together. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 10 and reading through to verse 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things 
through him who gives me strength. And so, our Father, we pray that you will speak mightily to us through your word. And so would you guide my thoughts and words. And would you open our, our hearts to hear what you have to say and then our lives to live out what you teach us. And it's for your glory we pray. Amen. And so as we dive into to these uh, four verses here, 10, 11, 12, and 13, um, let, let's not forget what's just gone before. Chapter 4 so far, as Paul has been urging the Philippians to be united together. Uh, he's been urging them to rejoice in all things. Again, I said rejoice. He's been urging them not to be anxious about anything. He's been urging them to think wisely, and that was last week's sermon. And all of those things then help to pave the way for what we now see, this, this talk of contentment. And so being united together, rejoicing in all things, not being anxious, thinking wisely, and therefore we can, verses 7 and 9, both say, the peace of God or the God of peace will be with you. And, and this peace of God in fact, the peace that comes from the God of peace, uh, that is what brings true contentment. That's the flow that we're jumping into. Um, but, so that's been the, the content so far of chapter 4. And now in verse 10, we see Paul turning towards the conclusion of his letter, which we will finish next week. And he starts in verse 10 by, by showing and sharing his joy at the Philippian church, that they were enabled to show their concern for him. Uh, and we'll see that uh, next section, particularly in verse 18. But it seems that the Philippian church have given more than likely financial gift. And they have sent it to Paul through Epaphroditus. So the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus carrying the gift. Epaphroditus got to Paul in Rome. And that has brought him great joy. Uh, and that, that support was not a one-time thing. They had done that previously. There had been a bit of a gap, obviously, if Paul is now saying, you have renewed your concern for me. But this church is a generous church in Philippi. And Paul knows that, and now they've supported him again, and supporting him financially, and also supporting him with, with the reality that he uh, will, is, is having to pay rent for his house arrest in Rome, and we know that from the end of chapter 28 of Acts. And so we'll think a little bit more about uh, that, the, the content uh, and of that financial gift a little bit next week. Um, but here, it is within this, this context of financial provision that, that this provides the framework for Paul to now talk about contentment. And so we're introduced to this theme of contentment. And, and I wonder what, what sparks in your mind when you hear that term. Um, one dictionary definition defines contentment as happiness and satisfaction, often because you have everything you need. That sounds about right, doesn't it? We, we'd agree with that. Essentially, the normal way of thinking would suggest that we're content when we're not in need of anything else. When things are settled, when we're going well, we're not at want we're not in want for anything. Or as another definition says, we are happy and satisfied with what we have. We're content. And I think in some ways that definition does line up with what Paul is talking about here, but perhaps not in the way that we would understand. You see, when, when we think about being satisfied and being not in need, it's generally because we have all that we want. Whereas that's not the motivation of Paul's contentment. That's certainly not the source of his contentment in terms of finances and physical provision and, and comfort. You see, we, we can understand contentment when we know the opposite. We, we know what discontentment feels like. We know that discontent, when, when things don't go the way we want and we long for things to be different, we're discontented, we're troubled. We know that discontentment when we wish we had more. When what we have is not enough because we long for more and we're striving for it. We know that discontentment when, when next door get a new car. 
Or we, we know that discontentment when someone else starts to work their way up the, the, the career ladder ahead of us or they got the promotion that we were in for as well. We know that discontentment, it, it's a sense of the grass is always greener somewhere else. But the, the, the depth of what God's word is, is sharing with us here is rather than understanding contentment in terms of physical things that we have, it's transforming that to see the spiritual things that we have bring us contentment. Because the spiritual things that we have, if we are in Christ, are everything. Ephesians talks about the, 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 the greatness of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And so the depth of God's word here is to, to, to take our eyes off the physical places where we try to find our contentment in the world around us. And to show us, actually, that because of verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is enough to be the source of all of our contentment. It's not in physical, financial, or professional attainment. It is in Christ. And we've seen this theme throughout Philippians. Paul explaining that his present circumstances that he finds himself in, they are not the source of his joy. They are not wrecking his faith. They are not the source of his contentment. See, the physical circumstances that Paul is facing are dreadful. And have been, we, we know that from other places in Scripture, like 2 Corinthians 11, when he, he lays out all of the ways in which he suffered for the gospel. And even in that, he's able to say, I have learned in all things, in any and every situation, to be content. I have learned that secret. You see, the reality is that Paul's contentment is not based on his circumstances around him. His contentment is grounded in somewhere unmovable, unshakable. The foundation of Paul's contentment is not at the whim of personal circumstances, which, as we all know, can change far too quickly. But where Paul's, circum is, where Paul's contentment is based is in Christ. It's why verse 13 doesn't stand alone. Why can Paul say, and we'll, we'll unpack this in a minute, why can Paul say, in all things, and in any and every situation, whatever circumstances, I can be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content when I have plenty or when I am in need because Christ gives me strength. So this concept of, of being content is not based on circumstances. And we see that so clearly because Paul even says, whatever the circumstances, I have learned to be content. So we can know the joy of contentment, whatever our circumstances. That phrase at the end of verse 11. Well, what, what does Paul mean by whatever the circumstances? Well, the first thing to note, this isn't just a passing phrase from Paul. In fact, he repeats it and he unpacks it to show the full extent of it throughout verse 12. Paul's stressing that the reality of his contentment spans any and every situation, literally. If we read verse 12 again, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. See, need, hunger, want on one side, plenty, well-fed, and plenty again on the other. And whatever situation, I've learned the secret of being content. These are, these are three ways, and Paul is saying the same thing. Whether well-fed or hungry, in plenty or in need, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whatever the circumstances. He's really ramming this home, isn't he? He's learned the secret of being content. In other words, he's learned to be happy with his lot. Whatever his lot is, if his lot is plenty, he's content. If his lot is need, he's content. 
If his lot is a full belly, he's content. If his lot is hunger, he's content. That is the, the secret that he's learned, to be content in any and every situation, whatever the circumstances, because his contentment isn't based on those things that change. It, that change. His contentment is based and rooted in Christ. And we see this and have seen this throughout the letter, that Paul can say this with all confidence and with deep sincerity because his life is founded on Jesus. And this is one of the examples that he's given us of how that actually plays itself out. We've seen this loads throughout, especially at the end of chapter 1 when he was talking about suffering, that you can endure suffering because Christ endured it. And time and time again, let me work our way through just six examples of where we see throughout the book, throughout Philippians, where is Paul building his life? What is the foundations that his life is built on that is leading him to be able to say, I can be content in any and every situation? Because if that's the secret, I want to know it. And God has made it clear to us. It's not a secret that, as if you, know, you need someone to whisper it to you before you find out. It's a secret as in it's a mystery that can be, that can be found and so let's learn how to find this. What is Paul building his life on? Well, here's a list. I'd encourage you to write it down and, and make sure you, you check those references later on to see the depth of what God has been teaching us here. But what are the foundations here? Six pillars, if you like, that Paul is building his life on. It's the assurance that God is at work, firstly. God is at work. We see it in chapter 1, verse 6, where he says, indeed, I'm confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion. And then in the middle of chapter 2, he said, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. You see, God is busy in the life of a believer. Paul knows that. So whatever circumstances you're facing, God is doing something. And so we can trust him. We can be content that he is with us in the midst of it, and he is doing something. God is at work. Secondly, we see the eternal perspective that Paul has on all of life. We see this in lots of places, but here's just two examples. In chapter 1, 20 to 23, he's, he's talking about death, and he's talking about his, his joyful expectation of death. And he said, so now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, Paul says. Paul's eyes are fixed elsewhere. So whatever circumstances are going on down here doesn't affect the assurance and the confidence he has in what's to come. And so living with that assurance, living with that expectation, then enables him in chapter 3 to say, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards what? Towards the goal, the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Paul's eyes are fixed on heaven. And so that's where his confidence is coming from. So if he has plenty now or need now, it doesn't matter. I can be content because I know where I'm headed. Thirdly, the purpose of life. Chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Can you hear it again? Whatever happens, whatever circumstances, in any and every situation, live in a way. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul's focus is solely on the gospel. So everything he does and every way he reacts is about making sure the gospel shines brightly. Fourthly, Paul's living to serve others. In chapter 2, 3, and 4, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, and Paul's showing through the example of Christ 
that to, to live with a focus on the interest of others, it breeds a generous spirit. It breeds a sacrificial spirit. It helps us to recognize that we are following Jesus, the one who came to give himself as a sacrifice. And so when we live with this focus on, on glorifying him primarily and then by serving others, then the needs and the circumstances that we have, they become less important. And therefore, they become less of a, a draw for our contentment because we're, we're trying to serve Jesus by serving others. That's our focus. And linked with that, fifthly, valuing Christ above all. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so if Christ is the prize, if he is the goal, if he is the treasure, everything else, Paul says, is garbage. So that Christ can be known. So if your life is there, then whatever circumstances you're going through now are of lesser importance than making him known. And then considering what we thought about last week, to think and live rightly. So knowing Christ in this way enables us to say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so to find your contentment, don't be anxious about anything, present your requests to him, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And therefore, fill your minds with good things. Fill your minds with all that is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. If your minds are full of those things, you're not going to be stressed out about the contentment that you don't see or the things that you feel lacking in life. And so this is just a broad sweep over the letter, but you can already see that Paul's been building and building upon the reality of his complete trust in Jesus Christ for everything. That's why he's then able to say, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Because I know Christ, because I follow Christ, because I trust in Christ and I'm living for Christ. So I can be content in any and every situation, whatever the circumstances. And perhaps you hear that and think once again, like you might have felt throughout this letter, that, that sounds great for you, Paul. But, but what can that mean for me? Living in the stresses and strains of 21st century living, how can, how can this be realistic? How can this be? Is this not idealistic? How does this life of complete surrender to Jesus play out in, in my workplace, in my street, in my context, in this culture? Well, again, at the risk of sounding simplistic and certainly in no way intended to be patronizing, Surely the message from God's word here is for us to follow Jesus in the 21st century world looks exactly like this. Hasn't Paul said that twice already? In chapter 3, verse 17, he said, follow my example. In chapter 4, verse 9, he said, whatever you've learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. See, God hasn't given us the example of Paul here to look at and say, Ah, oh, well, that, that would be nice. Paul's example for us is not held up as some unattainable goal with which we then carry a burden that we're never going to reach. A burden of guilt, a burden of disappointment, a burden of, oh, that, that's discontent. God gives us the example of Paul to say, this is discipleship to Jesus. This is what following him is like. 
This is what it means to know him. This is what it means to follow him. This is what it means to trust him. This is what it means to live for him. So Paul, to be able to say, I, I, whatever the circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. It is not just an exclusive and unique statement that only he can make. Jesus is saying through his word, this is what is available for my children. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in him. That, that is not some pie-in-the-sky ideal that we won't see until glory. We will see it then. But it is also a truth for us to understand now. And it's the same here. I have learned to, I know what it is, Paul said in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. Many of us know that. I know what it is to have plenty. Many of us know that. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. See, the example of Paul is given to us here by God to graciously show us that this is what life to the full in Christ means. Contentedness is not found in striving for the next thing in the world's eyes. Contentedness is found in Jesus Christ. Only, purely, fully Jesus Christ. It's only found in his loving and gracious and, and ruling embrace of us. See, as we give our lives to him in gratitude for his saving work, as we've sung about this morning, in removing the stain of sin from us, it's only fitting to give our all to him. And I understand that. That is practically challenging. We, we want to be in control of things. We want to make our own decisions and, and be kings and queens of our own kingdoms. But ultimately, the, 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 the glorious mercy of the Bible is to show us we are not sovereign. We are not immune from the pressures and temptations of sin. And so that means I know I can't trust myself to make wise decisions. But Jesus, Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is always good. Jesus is righteous. And so Jesus can be trusted to follow with all fullness because he will lead me in God's ways, not in the ways that I think are best. And in doing that, in following him, that's where we know the peace of God. That's where we know contentment. See, it may well be the world's wisdom that, that we strive and we work for contentment. You know, contentment is, is the goal at the end of a lot of steps. It's the very top of a ladder, and that ladder is hard work to climb. We strive our way there to get the house we want, to get our kids into the school we want, to get it, whatever it might be, the, the career that we're after, the, the lifestyle that we want, that, that's, that's where contentment is found. When I get that thing, I'll be content. And so we, I, I don't know how long you've been on this planet or whether this has been your experience. That's knackering as a lifestyle. And it, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't lead to true contentment. The good news of the Bible is that contentment is not about striving. Contentment is surrender. Contentment is resting in the presence and trust of Jesus. So in a, in a world that says, get more, do more, be more, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And there you will find peace for your soul. This is good news. 
This is good news. And it comes through a posture of surrender and trust in our Savior King. So we can know the joy of contentment, whatever the circumstances. And we can only know that because of God, and we can only find that in God. Let me me just say one more thing before we finish by, by thinking about verse 13. One more thing about this, whatever the circumstances phrase. See, it seems that God's making it clear that contentment that he brings is not the absence of difficulty. So God is promising contentment. He's not promising comfort. And I think many of us, certainly the world, will will equate the two. That comfort comes when you find, sorry, contentment comes when you find comfort. God sees the two things differently. That, That finding contentment is possible even in the midst of horrible circumstances. So Paul shows it's what the whole Bible shows. See, God isn't promising contentment. Sorry, God is promising contentment, not necessarily comfort in the way that we understand comfort. And perhaps that's made clear to us through Paul's words in verses 11 and 12. The fact that he emphasizes whatever circumstances, any and every situation he finds himself in, we should appreciate the fullness of what Paul is saying there. Paul knows what it is to be in plenty, in need, in hunger, in abundance, and he knows contentment in all of those things. So here we see the promise of God's contentment is not the absence of pain or struggle or difficulty. It's a promise of contentment in the midst of those things. And that again is good news. I love verses like Psalm 46. where The Lord is your ever-present help in times of trouble. In the midst of it, right in the thick of it. Just when you think things can't get any worse, God is there. And that brings us incredible hope, incredible comfort. It doesn't promise that things are going to, get, going to be made any better. But goodness, with the presence of God Almighty, the God of peace with us, I can know contentment in the midst of this. That is hope. Because my contentment is not based on the circumstances changing. My contentment is based on my unchanging God. And this is good news. So whatever the circumstances we can find contentment. Finally then, as, as, we, as we finish on verse 13, we see the reason, and I've mentioned it already, but the reason why we're able to trust, why we're able, even in the midst of things being difficult, why we're able to persevere, why we're able to know contentment even in those times. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And as I mentioned at the beginning of our time, there is a wrong way to interpret that verse. Uh, to to lift it out of its context and apply it to any and every situation that we find ourselves in. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Brilliant, because I need to move this piano later, so that's going to help. That's a flippant example, but but it's it's a misuse of the verse. Uh, And then there's lots of situations which, which which are much less flippant, but equally wrong and dangerous. So, so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, well, we can't sin. That's not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to live life how we want to. Because I can do all things because Christ strengthened me. So I don't need to obey him. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. Verse 13 continues to flow through everything that's gone before. So whatever the circumstances, I can be content in plenty or in need. And I can do that. I can do all things because Christ has strengthened me. See, Christ gives, him, gives Paul strength 
so that he can know in plenty or in need, whatever the circumstances, in any and every situation, to be content. And this brings, yet again, brings incredible comfort in two very quick ways. Firstly, it proves that Paul is not some special case who has managed to crack the nut of contentment for himself through his own wisdom and his own deep thinking. No, if his contentment is based on Christ, then all who trust in Christ can know Christ's contentment. If Christ is the one who gives Paul strength to know know contentment and to be able to trust, then Christ can give all of us the strength to trust him and therefore know contentment. Because Christ is is the, the source of this contentment, then all of us who know Christ can know the contentment that he brings. Paul is not a, a special, unique case in that sense. And so there's great comfort there for all of us who know and trust in Jesus. And, and the second thing that we could be comforted by, uh, by the truth of Christ's strengthening, um, is actually a comfort through grammar. Now, I know some of us will be very excited about grammar, and some of us very much not. But the, the original Greek here is very important. See, the, the verb that's translated strengthened or to, to give strength, as the NIV has, that gives me strength, the, the verb is in the present active form. Now, what that means is this is an ongoing supply of strength. This is not one time God gave me a bank of strength from which I can draw on until it runs dry. No, this is a continual feed of strength, and it is a feed from a well that never runs dry. Christ gives strength. Christ, as we learned at the start of our service, Christ is the supreme one. Everything has been made through him and for him. He can give all strength to all people at all times for all things. And so we are feeding from a well. In fact, we are being fed. Christ strengthens us. This is something that Christ is doing for us and to us. It's not even something that we need to draw on in our own effort. No, he gives strength for every and every situation so that we can know his peace and his contentment. That's why we can know whatever the circumstances, we can, have the, we can have the ability to be content because Christ gives the power to trust him. Christ gives the assurance that he's capable in that circumstance. Christ gives the knowledge that his way is best so he can be trusted. Christ gives his presence, which is real and true and transformative. And so we can know contentment. And more than that, we can know the joy of contentment. And as we've seen from these verses, we can know the joy of contentment, whatever the circumstances, in plenty or in need, he continues with us. And we can know the joy of contentment, strengthened by Christ, continually being fed by that never-ending spring of Christ's grace and goodness and power and strength. And so as we conclude this morning, I wonder how God's been speaking to you about the gift of his contentment, which he's longing to bring. Maybe it is to to deepen that sense of trust. Maybe it's actually a rebuke to stop looking over the fence at everyone else's green grass and to be content with the lot that he has given. Maybe it's a a family relationship that's bringing tension and causing you, causing you, discontentment and so we need to trust him with it maybe it's the way we wish life had turned out in comparison to the people around us maybe it's an uncertainty about the future that we're worried about how things are going to work out and so we can't be content in the here and now because we're unsure of what's next maybe it's striving for that next thing to the extent that you miss god's provision in the present 
there are so many things that seek to rob us of the joy of contentment that Christ has come to bring. And some of those are things are valid concerns. I understand that. But some of them aren't, if we're honest. We allow some things to rob us of contentment, which we should never give credence to. But I wonder this morning if God is seeking to draw us back to himself through a, a collaboration of these verses that we've enjoyed over the last couple of weeks. That in the midst of that discontentment, we would know his call to not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God so that his peace may flood your soul. And in doing that, that peace that passes all understanding floods our hearts so that we might be able to say, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And, and none of that is based on any ability in our own to sort stuff out or, or to, to make things right. No, we are confident in the assurance that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I can lay down what I need to lay down in order to trust him. I can pick up what he's asking me to pick up and run with. That I know he is leading me down that way and I don't really want to go. And so that's causing a sense of discontentment. And Christ is calling you to knock down that barrier and sprint to him. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Our God is a good God. Our God is a God who, 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 who demands complete and full obedience. And sometimes that means difficulty and sacrifice. Absolutely. But he is a God who equips us for such things. He is a God who has promised us and, and assured us of a salvation that not only we know now, but we will know for all eternity. And so we can trust him. He is good. Let's pray together as we finish. Our Father, we thank you. Yet again, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And I praise you, Father, that you have indeed given us your word to teach, to rebuke, to correct, to train us in righteousness so that we will go and be equipped for every good work that you've planned for us. And so I pray, Father, that you'd help us to put this truth that you've been sharing with us this morning, that you would help us to, to not just recognize this as a good thought but this would transform the way we live our lives father i pray for those of us who are wrestling with discontentment in whatever its form at the minute would you help us to trust you father help us to see you as our good god our loving heavenly father our reigning king and therefore we can trust you with everything even the things that worry us right to our cores thank you father for your incredible goodness to us Thank you for your word, which speaks such life to us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to know the reality and the power that you want to give us as we seek to follow you. It's all for your name and for your glory, we pray.